And he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and let it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant, but they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third. This one also they wounded and cast out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, what then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them, but they feared the people. So they watched him and sent spies, who pretended to be sincere, that they might catch him in something he said, so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. So they asked him, teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? But he perceived their craftiness and said to them, show me a denarius whose likeness and inscription does it have? They said, Caesar's. He said to them, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said. But marveling at his answer, they became silent. This is the word of the Lord. Am I on? All right. Just wanted to be sure. Well, it, it really is a privilege to be here. And as I look around and I see some familiar faces, I like familiar faces. And I also like not familiar faces. So if your face isn't familiar, I like you too. <laughs> and... You know, it, it's encouraging. I, I bring greetings from uh, Cross Point Community Church, which we think of ourselves as sister church with you guys. We had a very similar startup. It was probably a year or so after you, and my wife and I uh, are just thrilled to be a part of that and glad to be able to be here. And when Tommy sent me an email and said, hey, would you mind preaching? I thought, yeah. And I checked with our lead guy just to be sure that he was okay with it. And he and Tommy are really good buddies. So um, he said, yeah, sure. Why don't you do that? And I thought, I, last year I preached a sermon twice, once at our church. And, in, and it, it, it changed lives. I mean, people, it was just like this incredibly unbelievable sermon. And then he said, why don't you preach the sermon on the text you just heard read this morning that talks about killing and it talks about politics and I thought okay I will <laughs> and so I'm going to pray before we go into that sermon and here's what I found about the word of God it's one of those really cool things about the word of God when you decide you're going to start studying it you find that what might initially look like that text and you say that text and it tastes really good to me and I'm hoping that by God's grace I can communicate a little bit of that to you so, Lord, thank you for a beautiful morning. Thank you for the worship we've already experienced. 
And I pray that you would in some way allow me to speak better than I know how to speak and to communicate your word to your people for your glory. And I thank you for all that in Jesus' name. Amen. So, you know, the theme of the whole of the Bible is the theme of a kingdom. Matter of fact, when creation happened, God created and then he put on his creation, on this planet, humans that were to bear his image and were to allow his glory to cover the earth like the water covers the sea. And it was intended to be his kingdom. And then sin came into the world. And then what you find from Genesis 3 on is a conflict of kingdoms where humanity wants our kingdom, and the contrast to that is the kingdom of God. And and Luke and all the Gospels portray that picture, that picture of kingdom conflict, kingdom conflict. And as a matter of fact, that conflict started probably with Satan in conflict with Christ and God's kingdom, Adam and Eve, and then you read through the Old Testament, you'll find pharaohs, and you'll find Nebuchadnezzars, and you come to the New Testament, you'll find Pilate's, And in the text this morning, you'll find even the Jewish leaders were in conflict with the kingdom of God. And I remember growing up, I don't remember everything about growing up, but I remember some things. And I remember while I was a believer young in life, that I still had this kind of kingdom thing for myself. Like I have two siblings. I have an older sister, a younger brother that some of you probably know. He's a really nice guy. His name is Don. You ought to say hi to him if you ever see him. And, and what I found as we were growing up is that we had kingdom conflicts. There were three little kingdoms going on in this world. You know, my brother, my sister, and me, and the toy that I never played with for, you know, two years, and all of a sudden when my brother had it, I wanted it. It's mine. And then I got a little bit older, and I got into playing sports, and I loved playing basketball, and I went to this really little Christian school. There were 13 in my graduating class, and I was like the basketball guy. I was a basketball player. You believe that, Matt? I don't know. (laughs) Anyway, I was. I think I was. And then there was this guy who was supposed to come to school, and the reputation he had was he's a basketball guy. And I think, I don't want that basketball guy coming to my basketball kingdom. And he came, and just to let you know, I was better than him. So (laughs) just for the record, or at least that's what my mother told me. And then, you know, as you get older, and then you have your kingdoms when you go to school, and somebody's stealing your girl from your kingdom, and, and we're kingdom people. And this morning, the scripture is going to tell us that Jesus is the one that will be the biggest threat to your kingdom. <laughs> he is. And, and that's a good thing, that he's willing to say, my kingdom over your kingdom. And we're going to look at the two stories that you heard read this morning. And, and I, 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 again, I really think these are cool stories. And here's the way I've decided to entitle them. There's going to be two points to the sermon. The first one will come from the first story, and it's this. Give me Jesus or not. Those are the two kingdoms. Either give me Jesus or not. Then the second story is going to be give me to Jesus or not. You get the sense of the difference? One is, give me Jesus, and the other is, give me to Jesus. And I hope you can see how that comes out of these two texts, which I think are are actually, they're not the texts I would necessarily read before I go to bed at night, but I am probably now going to read it more often in, in light of that. So the text, and I hope your Bibles are open, Luke 20, in verse 9, in the context, and I know you guys have been going through Luke for a while, and I don't think you've been in Luke for the last couple of weeks I think, 
as I understand it, trying to look at your website. And the last part, the last sermon, I heard, I actually listened to it, Tommy's sermon, did a nice job, talking about Jesus cleansing the temple. And this is all probably during the last week, the Passion Week, when Jesus is about to be killed. And Jesus cleansing the temple isn't just a, oh yeah, he goes in and knocks over tables. It was a significant kingdom story. He was saying the kingdom of God should have centered around the temple, which was the location of the presence of God in Israel. And they had said, we're putting our presence there, not his. And he's turning over saying, hey, I'm, I'm here to restore the true kingdom, which is my kingdom. And then the authority of Jesus was challenged in, in chapter 20, the first part. They're, they're, they're just continually going after him. The leaders are saying, we want our kingdom, not yours. And then Jesus tells this parable. And it's, 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 just, it's, it's a parable that, again, is a little bit disconcerting. It's an easy parable in terms of interpretation. And I'm glad for that. And that's actually going to become clear in verse 19 because it says even these guys that didn't like Jesus, they understood what he was saying. So let's go through this parable quickly, and then I'm going to give a couple of observations at the end. Verse 9, follow along with me in your copy of the scripture. And he began to tell the people this parable. That's Jesus. He's telling a parable. The people perhaps were those from twenty verse chapter 20, verse 1, one day as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes came up to him. It could have been a combination of all of them. Probably a lot of them were antagonists, which we'll see clearly in this text. And he's going to tell them a story. Here's the story. Or it's a parable. A man planted a vineyard and let it out to tenants. And... It, as you read through it, and I'll just kind of give you the interpretation as you go along, the man probably represents God. The vineyard is like his kingdom, and the tenants would have been Israel. So God, who was wanting to establish his kingdom in, on earth, and the people that he chose were, would have been Abraham and the Jews to say, this is how I'm going to do my kingdom. And then it says, it goes on, so the man planted a vineyard. By the way, the vineyard thing is kind of an interesting thing, too. He didn't plant a wheat field. It's a vineyard, which probably had some Old Testament nuance to Israel. That wouldn't have been a hard connection for them to make. Also, vineyards take a while to produce anything. It's not an immediate thing, so it would have, would have taken effort, and yet the produce would have been very worthwhile. So there's effort in it, and it's going to produce something good, and he lets it out or leases it out to them. And he went into another country for a long while. When the time came, he sent a servant. And most would argue that the servant, because there's going to be at least three of them in this text. And if you read Matthew and Mark, there might have even been more than that. Although it's a parable, so it's not an actual historical event. Those servants probably were prophets. The prophets came, and you read through the Old Testament, and you got prophets like Elijah, you got prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah, and prophets like Lamenta Lamentations, not a prophet, <clears throat> and like Ezekiel. You know, you got these prophets, and the people don't respond very well to the prophets, do they? I mean, that's been the history of Israel. It's been the history of humanity. So he sends a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard which seems reasonable. And then the next word is, is a word that I really like and some of you that know me, at least in the ESV it's translated, but 
And this is actually a bad but. You know, there's a lot of good buts in the Bible. There's a lot of good but gods in the Bible that just sort of warm your heart. And if you don't believe that, I'll give you a sermon about it. <laughs> but this is a bad one. But the tenants, I mean, he's doing what's reasonable, and the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And then verse 11, and he sent another servant, but they beat him too, and they treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And you almost get the sense that as he sends a servant slash prophet, that it gets worse and worse. So you got two. They sent him away. And then verse 12, and he sent a third. This one also they wounded and cast out. <laughs> strike one, strike two, strike three. And, and then look what the text says. Verse 13, then the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? And if the owner of the vineyard had asked me that question, I would say, I'll tell you what you do. You find the biggest army you can find, and you go down, and you smash those. They deserve it. They deserve it. And then, then look what happens. And again, you know, the, you know the parable. If you didn't, it, it could have a shock effect. I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they'll respect him. And I'm thinking, what? By the way, that word beloved isn't an accidental word, is it? I mean, it's not. It ought to have that echo like what God the Father said at the baptism of Jesus, this is my beloved son. That, you ought to hear that. I have a feeling they may have heard that. Certainly that's what it's referring to. Perhaps they will respect him. And then there's another but. Surely they'll respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And when I see that inheritance thing, I think kingdom. They said, we want our kingdom. We don't want his kingdom, our kingdom. That's what we want. And they threw him out of the vineyard and they killed him. And then here's the next question. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? And you know, when I think of that, I think, what would the owner of the vineyard do to them? And here's what the owner of the vineyard will do to them. He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. And again, in the parable, the nuance of others is probably Gentiles. He's going he's gonna to move. He's been rejected by his own, which the scripture tells us that Jesus was. And so then he goes to the Gentiles. And then when they heard this, they said, surely not. They had picked up on the nuance of the story enough to know that, 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 that probably he's talking about them and that he's also saying the day's going to come when it's good, that there's going to be a shift to these Gentiles. And the Jewish leader said, that's, that's the worst for our kingdom. And then it goes on. It says, when he heard this, or when they heard this, they said, surely not. Verse 17, another but. How many buts are? You ought to count the buts in the Bible. That's just a good thing. And you ought to just go after. Buts are adversatives. They shift the, 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 the direction that the argument is going. They look, he looked directly at them and said, what then is this that is written? And he quotes Psalm 118, a verse from there, which, by the way, in the triumphal entry, which was just a chapter or two earlier, there was a quote from Psalm 118 when Jesus comes in, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. There's sort of this kingdom thing. And then he quotes Psalm 118, and here's the quote, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. 
<laughs> We're going to talk about that in a minute. That's, that's just an intriguing answer to this whole question of strike one, strike two, strike three, I'm going to send my beloved son, he's dead now, what's he going to do? He's going to come and judge. And then he quotes this incredible verse. And then verse 18, he applies it, and he said, everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Verse 18, the scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them, but they feared the people. It, they, they understood the parable, and I don't know if you remember, but when Jesus told parables, he, would, he said at least once and maybe more, parables are to let my people know the, the truth, but it's to hide it from those that are opposing me. This parable was directly to those that opposed him and his kingdom. And the thing that I find kind of ironic is they understood it, and they still went to fulfill it. You know, they understood it, and they said, now, all right, you're saying we're going to kill you? Yeah, we're going to kill you. Somehow that's how they thought their kingdom would come. So I asked myself, what do I do with that parable? I mean, be warmed and filled. Let's just close the service now. Go home and just feel good. It doesn't feel that good, does it? I mean, at the end, I wouldn't think it would. And let me give you three, what I would call observations or applications. First of all, justice and judgment. God Almighty is just. And judgment is not just capricious. It isn't just, I am so ticked off that I'm going to try to do... It is the just result of what people do is judgment when they rebel against God. And you know, we don't like to talk about that. We like to talk about God as love. And you know what? God is absolutely love. He is. And God is absolutely just. And His justice and His love merge together to be the perfect beauty of a loving, just God. And God is just. And you know what? I think we probably need to hear that a little bit more in our world. That there is a holy God. We sang holy, holy, holy. And we ought to sing holy, holy, holy. And then we ought to sing, man, God, you're just. And your judgment is real. I think that's the main point of the text. I think that's what the hearers would have heard and should have heard. But, but let me suggest a couple of other aspects to it. And the, the second kind of observation is the idea of grace and mercy. And you may say, do you, do you see grace in that text at all? I'm looking for, all right, you, you know you're supposed to say yes because I said that's going to be, you know. Why? If it had been me and I had sent servants and they'd been treated like that, if I had been on a really, really good day, I might have given them a second chance thinking, how does that statement go? Fool me once or something, me, you know, whatever. You know how that statement goes. I, I might have gone the second time. There's no way I would have gone the third time, which is why I think the parable has a third time to say it's above and beyond. And there's absolutely no way I would have sent my son. I have a son. I'm not doing that. And, and when, I, when I hear that, I, I hear in my heart that Jesus is a God who's merciful, who's gracious, who's long-suffering, and that's, you know, that's not the God of the Romans. It's not the God, it's, it's not the God of, of the pagans who's just going to come down and, and burn. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now, that doesn't mean he's not going to judge, and don't miss that. That seems to be the point of the text, but don't miss the point of the text, too, or at least I think a sub-point, that there is this gracious, merciful God 
who went to the ultimate extreme of sending his son, sending his son who would die at the hands of sinful people. And then you you remember how Peter says it. It was by divine decree that he sent his son. It was by divine decree that his son died, and it was your hands that did it. And God did it to save the people that killed him. I I think grace is just incredibly beautiful. And the third reality that I, I, and I, didn't, I didn't go through a lot in the text because I wanted to get it in this point, and that is that quote from the Old Testament, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. <clears throat> Just a quote out of Psalms. And, and it's interesting how Jesus uses Psalms and how he quotes Old Testament texts and brings them to light. And the idea of cornerstone intrigued me. I'm not a builder. I, um, I'm a basketball player. <laughs> I'm a preacher, maybe. I don't, I don't know what I, I don't know how I identify. I'm a son of God. You know, that's how I identify myself. Um, I'm definitely not a builder. It's, if I, like yesterday, I was, uh, I had a clogged sink in the bathroom. And I could say to my wife, why don't you fix the clogged sink in the bathroom? That just seems like a dumb thing to do, right? I'm a guy. I'm supposed to fix the clogged sink in the bathroom. And I did fix it, like an hour and a half later. <laughs> And it's like, well, all you, you know, it's just like those things are just not intuitive to me. So I thought cornerstone. What is cornerstone? So I did this. I went to my Greek text and looked it up. That I can do. I can't fix the plugged up whatever, but I can do that. And it's actually two words. It's head and corner. If you were to just take it literally, head, head, corner. And it's translated cornerstone, which I think is an appropriate translation. And the idea of a cornerstone is... It's a foundational part of a building. And if you're a builder out there and I'm getting this all wrong, just, uh, just work with me, all right? Because that's what it is. And, it, and, it, and then you build upon the cornerstone, the edifice, whatever the building is. But it could also be translated, and in some translations it is here, and it's used other times in the Old and New Testament. It could be capstone. So cornerstone is foundation. Capstone is what holds it all together. One is the foundation upon which it's built. The other is how is it held together. And I frankly think both of those nuances are there. That there is the kingdom, the foundation of which will stand firm, secure, forever. And then we want to build our lives on a sandy kingdom that isn't going to preserve her. So it's that foundation, but not only is it the foundation, as that kingdom is built, the thing that holds the kingdom together is the capstone. It connects either two walls or maybe it's the final stone that's going to keep everything together. And if you don't have a good foundation, and if you don't have a good capstone, your life is going to be like, you remember the the parable, when the storms come, it's not going to be able to stand and, and, and here's what they said, or here's what the text says. You took what was your only hope kingdom-wise, and you've discarded it. You've rejected it. And here's what the result of pursuing a kingdom other than the kingdom of God. You're gonna, that kingdom is going to crush you. You're going to either the stone will fall on you, or you're going to fall on the stone. The point is, your kingdom can't stand without the reality of the beauty of of the kingdom of God. And that made me just say, wow, there's two sides of that text. Don't reject what's going to give you the greatest hope in life, the greatest foundation in life, and the greatest 
continuity to be able to have your life built upon and built within the reality of Jesus and his kingdom. And you know, the story has, of the Bible has many, many people that rejected that kingdom. And, and we even do that today. You know, we reject the kingdom of God by disobeying him. And I love that you guys prayed prayers of contrition and confession. And I hope as it was being prayed up here, you all out there were saying, Jesus, I need you, Lord. I need you. I need you to forgive me. Because we tend to live life while we're committed to Christ. And we want him to be our cornerstone. And we want him to be our headstone or our, our capstone. And yet we don't always obey him. We don't always forgive. And, and we ought to be continually confessing. And there are times when we just ignore Jesus. It's like, I'm too busy. I've, you know, i got a lot of work to do. I'm a, I'm a busy guy. You know, pastors, <laughs> I don't know. Pastors can seem like they're really busy and don't have enough time to spend time with the Lord and to, be, to make him our foundation and our capstone. And I'm sure that's true of many others. Sometimes we, we're pretty good compartmentalizers too, which is a multisyllabic word. We put things in compartments. Like you're here on Sunday. Good for you. How about Monday? What's your foundation of life? What is it that's the capstone that's keeping life together for you on Monday? Is it your job? Is it your family? Is it your, your possessions? Or is it Jesus? That's a question that I think this text begs us to ask. You know, there's a song, and I was tempted to ask Luke to have us sing this song, but I don't know if you guys sing this song. Give me Jesus, you ever sing that song? Yeah, kind of, maybe, every now and then. It's a song that is really simple. It's give me Jesus. There you go, give me Jesus. And that, that's one of the reasons I entitled this, Give Me Jesus or Not. Give me Jesus. And it starts off with, in the morning when I rise, <clears throat> let me sing it to you, and then you'll all leave. In the morning when I rise, in the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. You can take all this world but give me Jesus. So I thought of how do I apply that? And in the morning when I rise, what do you do? I mean, what's the foundation of your day? Just take it as a day. What's the foundation of your day? We had an elder retreat just uh, two weeks ago, and we were kind of confronted with that together as we're trying to grow spiritually as elders and to kind of make the commitment. When you wake up in the morning, don't take this as this is the first thing you look at when you wake up in the morning. I would say, bow your heads and close your eyes. And how many would say, that's first? That's really too quiet. But I, I found that myself. What is it that I may have missed while everybody was asleep? And maybe we ought to wake up in the morning. In the morning when I rise and we say, give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. I've started, and I haven't done it every day, praying. I appreciate it. The Trinitarian prayer, too, praying, Father, Son, Spirit. Father, you're sovereign today. Son, you died for me, and you're coming back for me. Do you believe Jesus is coming back? If he's coming back, that ought to affect how you live. In the morning when I rise, Jesus, you're, I don't know, it could be today. And Holy Spirit, you're my security. And Holy Spirit, you're, you're the one that's going to give me, the, I want to be led by the Spirit today. In the morning when I rise... Give me Father, Son, and Spirit. That's the way I would, but it just doesn't sing that well. In the morning, rise. Give me Father, Son, and Spirit. And then the next part is when I am alone, when I am alone, when I am alone, give me Jesus. And again, when I'm alone, this thing comes out of my pocket. That was going to be my illustration for the second, not for the first one, but 
It's just like I get, I, I, okay, I got, I got to make good use of my time, so I'm going to see what's on the internet or see what, or whatever else it may be. Maybe when I'm, when I'm just bored, I want to fill my life with, with pleasure, with all those things that can be idols and take me away from, give me Jesus, give me Jesus, not my kingdom, his kingdom. And then the last verse is, when I come to die, and when I come to die, that's kind of the capstone. And when I come to die, give me a nice big house, give me a bunch of money, give me Jesus. I did a funeral about a little over a month ago, and some of you know Tim Doyle, College Park guy that had muscular dystrophy and was in a wheelchair for, I don't know, 25, 30 years of his latter part of his life. And I got to know him pretty well. <laughs> And I, he's a guy that could do virtually nothing for himself except kind of talk and he could do a little bit of typing. And when he died, the legacy that he left based on what people said about him was that this was a man, and they used the word of faith. And what I, He was a man that said, and when I come to die, give me Jesus. And as I'm living my life, and his life, you know, like... He, he couldn't do, he could hardly do anything physically, but he had Jesus. And I thought, by God's grace, when I come to die, may that be the legacy that I have. And may that be the legacy not just I have, but the church has, the people of God have. That was a church that said, give us Jesus. We want Jesus. We don't, we don't necessarily need a whole bunch of cool programs, and programs are good and they're okay, but give us Jesus. May we be the Jesus church. <laughs> May that be the reality of what God calls us to. So, point number one, and I'm going to go quickly through point number two, is this. Give me Jesus or not. Do you want him or not? And if you want him, his kingdom, you'll pray this. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's the cornerstone, and he's the capstone, and he's the alpha and the omega, and he is all of life, and is that true for you? And if it's not, may you, may we together, the church of Jesus Christ, renew our commitment to him. And if you're here this morning, and I don't know all of you, and you don't know Jesus, I mean, you hear a text like this, and I don't know what that would make you think. Kind of strange, you know, it's a strange parable. But it's one that would call you to that cornerstone, to that one who can be the foundation of life. Repent and say, Jesus, I believe in you. I'm going to trust in you. And then come to Jesus, come to Jesus. So the second story. And again, we're going to go through this really quickly because I think this one may be really obvious. And that is give me to Jesus. Give me Jesus. Now this one is, so give me Jesus. Now give me to Jesus. And let me real quickly go through the text. It says in verse 20, so they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere that they might catch him in something he said so as to deliver him up to the authorities and jurisdictions of the governor. And you know, if it weren't such a sad story, it would be a humorous story, wouldn't it? They sent spies. We're going to spy him out. We're going to catch him. We're going to get him. Sounds like almost a comedy of sorts. So they asked him, 
teacher, and then they kind of butter him up. We know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, another but, but teach truly or truly teach the word of God. Then here's their question. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? And they knew the trick, and so did, Je so did Jesus. If you say, yeah, give to Caesar, then the Jewish people are going to get upset. And if you say, no, don't give to Caesar, then they're running straight to Pilate and saying, Here, this guy, you know, you got to get rid of him. Verse 23, but he perceived their craftiness, and craftiness doesn't mean they were slick. It, meant, it really meant they just, they were kind of weaselly, I think, and said to them, show me a denarius. And I like to do visual aids, so I got a denarius here this morning. Can you believe that this isn't denarius? How many believe? Do I have any believers out there? <laughs> you can come look at it afterward. It was given to me by somebody, a denarius, and this is the casing. It's inside of here, but I couldn't figure out how to open this thing. So some of you that are more technical than me could open it up. And it's a picture probably of Tiberius, who would have been the Caesar at the time of Jesus. That's on one side. I don't know what's on the other side. And it's a, it's a denarius that somebody found, and somebody gave it to me. And I said, thank you. I don't know what I'm going to do with it. Yeah, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to use it as a visual aid. There it is. And, and on it is a image of, and, 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 because that's what he says, and when he perceived their craftiness, he said, show me a denarius whose likeness, whose image, whose icon is the word, is, is, does it have? And they said, it's Caesar's. That's Caesar's icon. And he said, well then, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and give to God what is God's, the things that are God. And they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said, but marveling at his answer. They became silent. And you know, I, I asked myself the question, this is year 2024, and I wondered if Tommy wanted me to preach this sermon so I could tell you who to vote for in November. So here's who you ought to vote. <laughs> uh, there's no way I'm walking into that trap. I'm not that crafty. I don't think it's primarily a political statement. I really don't. I think, and, and I think Eric said he taught some on, you know, the, what the scripture has to say in Romans and, and elsewhere about in Acts, how do you deal with political rule? I think one of the things it is saying is that we have responsibility to rulers, that they're put there by God, even evil ones, even whoever that may come about. But I don't think that's the primary point of this text. I think the primary point of this text is give to Caesar the stuff that's going to burn. <laughs> you know, I would be glad to sell this this morning to anyone who will come up to me and give me your best day's wage, whatever it was, except for young, except for kids. Oh, I didn't even think of that. <laughs> you have to be over 30. Whatever the best day's wage, you give it to me, I'll give you this. And then you can take it down to Walmart, or if you're more a Target shopper like my wife who doesn't like Walmart, for what reason, I don't know. And then you could say, hey, I got a day's wage. I'm buying groceries. You know what they're going to say to you? They're going to say, that's just a piece of junk. We don't care about that. It's only valuable to somebody that collects stuff. It, it's not going to worry. It's a, it's a denarius. We don't even hardly know how to pronounce it. It's going to burn. At that time, it was, you know what, that's, that was the stuff of life, our possessions. Give that to Caesar and then give to me What? And I think if we use that same word, icon, give to me my image bearers. Give to me you. 
In Genesis, when God created, he created humans in the image. And by the way, if you look at the Greek translation of that word, it's icon. It's the same word that's used here. That he created us in his image. We were to reflect him. We were to give ourselves to him. We were to cover the earth with his glory. And that's us. Sin came into the world and it's marred it. And redemption is the beauty of God restoring his image to his people. And the church of Jesus Christ ought to be imaging Jesus. We ought to say, Jesus, we give ourselves to you. We ought to be saying, Jesus, we present our bodies as living sacrifices. We ought to be saying, Jesus, whether we eat or drink or whatever it is, which includes like whatever it is, we're going to do it all to your glory. We're giving ourselves to you. That's what the church ought to be about. Give to Jesus the stuff that's due him, which is us, and give to Caesar the stuff that's going to burn, that's temporal, that's not going to last. You know, I tried to think of an illustration to close with. I don't know if this is a good one or not. I never know about illustrations. But my wife's name is Kathy, and a lot of you know Kathy. Really sweet lady. And when I married her, I wanted her. I, I, wanted to, I would have said, give me Kathy. I didn't say, give me your stuff. I didn't do a, you know, an inventory, like, what kind of stuff do you got? Give me that. And, I mean, you can come too if you want, but, I mean, that would have gone over really well, right? I didn't even say, give me what she can do. I mean, she's a good cook. She's a really good laundry person. And you know what? I didn't know that when we got married, but she just likes doing laundry. I think it's like, I kind of like cutting the grass because you can see it. I just cut that. I like that. I think she likes, I just wash that. It's clean. I wanted her. And so I asked us this question this morning. Do you want Jesus or do you just want what he can do? Give me Jesus. Be a church of people that want Jesus. And then I also wanted to give myself to her. I didn't want to just give her my money, which is good, because I didn't, when we got married, I didn't have very much. I had a little bit of debt. I said, hey, I'll give you my dad. How about that? I didn't want to give her my good looks, because I didn't have much, and I've got less now than I had then. I wanted to give her me. I wanted to give me to her. And church, may we be the people of God who realize we were made for him, He's not only sovereign, but he's creator. And may we say, well, give us Jesus. And then may we, the church, say, and we are going to give ourselves to you as our God and as our maker. Give us Jesus, because he's the cornerstone and the capstone of life. And let me pray. Ah, oh, Father in heaven, this text has has burned a hole in my heart realizing I am so grateful that by your grace, not by my works, not by my own doing, but by your grace, you've come to me such that I would have a desire for you. And Lord, you are the only person who can fill the desires of our heart, and we want you. And if there's some here that don't know you, may your spirit open their eyes and draw them to yourself. And for those of us that do, May we affirm again, and then may we order our lives around your kingdom, not ours. May we not be like the Jewish leaders who thought they were so religious that their kingdom superseded yours. May you be our cornerstone and our capstone. 
May you be the one that we say, give me Jesus, and then may we, your people, say we will commit our lives such that on the day that you call us to yourself and that we die, the reality would be we have given ourselves to you and we want you. So thank you for this church. I pray your blessing on them. And Lord, I thank you for all that in Jesus' name. Amen.